this Wednesday, the 3rd of January, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus by praying together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Wednesday. Thank you for your patience with me. I'm getting over a nasty bug. But we are here. I think uh, Annie's family got hit over the weekend. Our family got hit. A lot of people I know are sick. We're praying for you. We're going to make it through. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We will talk to Dr. John Bergsma about Love Basics for Catholics. Today he's going to look at the story of the Samaritan woman. Father Rob Jack is going to be along to look at some of the readings we hear from John's Gospel in the Daily Masses over these next few days. Gary Zimak will look at Mary's obedience in our ongoing Stop Worrying and Start Living series. And then Joseph Pierce will be along at the end of the hour to talk about a new book that he's written. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. All eyes are on the Middle East after a senior Hamas leader was killed in a drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. The attack killed the group's top deputy along with six others. Israel has not claimed responsibility for the attack, but the New York Times reports senior U.S. officials confirmed Israel was behind the strike. The Lebanese militant group Hezbollah called it a serious attack on Lebanon and a dangerous development in the war. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is now resigning. Mark Mayfield has the story. She announced her decision Tuesday in a message to the Harvard community. This comes following allegations of plagiarism and a campus controversy over anti-Semitism. Gay's tenure is now the shortest in the school's history after she became Harvard's first black president in July. She faced pressure to resign following a congressional hearing in early December in which she and other university presidents struggle to answer whether calling for genocide of Jews violates their code of conduct. I'm Mark Mayfield. Former President Trump's legal team is appealing a ruling by the Maine Secretary of State that he is ineligible to appear on the state's GOP primary ballot. In the appeal filed with Maine Superior Court, Trump called Secretary of State Shanna Bellows a biased decision-maker and claimed she didn't have the legal authority to remove him from the ballot. Trump's attorneys said in the appeal that her ruling was the product of a process, in their words, quote, infected by the bias and pervasive lack of due process, end quote. 
Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness upon learning of the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. At least 62 deaths have been confirmed and hundreds more were injured after the 7.6 magnitude quake struck. There are reports that tens of thousands of homes have been destroyed. A telegram sent on behalf of the Pope said he prays especially for the dead and those who mourn their loss, as well as for the rescue of people who are still missing. The Vatican yesterday released the Pope's video to accompany his prayer intention for January to increase diversity in the church. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. On January 18th to 25th, the church celebrates the week of prayer for Christian unity. In the Pope video, the Holy Father urged Christians to embrace the gift of diversity in the church since it represents an opportunity to rejoice. He noted that diversity and unity were already present in the early Christian communities, adding that the tension brought about by diversity had to be resolved on a higher level. However, noted Pope Francis, diversity in the church includes our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions. Para avanzar por el camino de la fe, necesitamos también el diálogo. To move forward on the journey of faith, he said, we also need ecumenical dialogue with our brothers and sisters of other confessions and Christian communities. He pointed out that this is not something confusing or disturbing, but is a gift that God gives to the Christian community so it might grow as one body, the body of Christ. Pope Francis offered the example of the diversity of rites within the Eastern churches that are in communion with Rome. They have their own traditions, their own characteristic liturgical rites, yet they maintain the unity of the faith, he said. They strengthen it, not divide it. In conclusion, the Holy Father recalled that all Christian unity comes to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. If we are guided by the Holy Spirit, abundance, variety, and diversity never cause conflict, he said. The Holy Spirit reminds us first and foremost that we are children loved by God, everyone equal in God's love, and everyone different. Let us pray, concluded Pope Francis, that the Spirit help us recognize the gift of different charisms within the Christian communities and to discover the richness of different ritual traditions within the Catholic Church. I'm Devin Watkins. A winter storm is expected to bring snow, rain, and wind to the east this weekend. Forecasters are not yet sure how much snow the system can be expected to bring, especially for areas near the I-95 corridor. The storm should begin dissipating late on Sunday. And the earliest version of Mickey Mouse is now public domain. The version of the famous Disney character that first appeared in the short film Steamboat Willie is now available to be used by creatives without permission. The copyright on the Steamboat Willie versions of Mickey and Minnie Mouse expired as the calendar flipped to 2024. Mickey still remains under trademark, and Disney has said it will continue to protect the more modern versions of Mickey Mouse that remain subject to copyright. Well, I don't know what I'll do with that information, but thank you. Hey, you know, you can make T-shirts. I suppose so. I don't know. Mouse shirts. Mouse shirts. Mouse hats. I had a Mickey Mouse hat when I was a kid. Did you? I feel like not a lot the of one, people did. Not the one that had the ears. It was like a picture. Like Mickey Mouse was, you know. Oh, okay. Sorry, Anna Mitchell, I, I appreciate you, by the way, uh, so much for all the good work that you've done over these past couple of days. How are you, you holding up, Matt? I've been better. 
Yeah, you yeah. Were, and then you were out over the weekend too. Like it's yeah. been a, it's been a wild start to the I'm year. I'm on medication now, so I'm I'm on the upswing. Hopefully you are too. Yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to see you I'm better upright. Better than I was. Yeah. But we we fight through it to we bring fight you through it. The show bring must the, go on. The radio. Indeed. Indeed. Well, it's good to have you back, Matt. Happy 2024. Happy 2024. Is that what it is? Yeah. No. We're in 2024. I was out for a couple days. I know. I know. You missed it. We flipped the calendar. Nicely done. Nice done. It's eight past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, today we are going to unpack the theme of love in the story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And this is uh, kind of a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but these are the opening verses, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, 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 near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, Doc, I want to start off complaining just a little bit here because I think after reading Love Basics for Catholics, John is being rather unfair in telling us biblically illiterate Catholics that Jesus was tired and and thirsty And, you know, we just pass over this part of the story without giving it a moment's thought. But what is so significant about the fact that Jesus sits down at this well? Right. Well, as soon as he does so, we just know that a woman is going to show up. And Mm. why do we know that? Because we've watched a bunch of these movies before. (laughs) So we've we've watched a bunch of biblical rom-coms, right? Yep. Uh, going back to Genesis 24, where Isaac, who's courting by proxy, uh, is his uh, proxy uh, servant, uh, comes into a town and comes to a well and ends up meeting Rebecca, who ends up as the bride. And then in Genesis 29, Jacob comes into a town and finds a well, and there he meets Rachel, and it's love at first sight, and Moses flees Egypt in Exodus chapter 2, and he comes to a well, and there he meets Zipporah, his future wife. Hmm. So Jesus sits down by the well, and like, okay, uh, a woman's going to show up. Although John throws in a wrinkle, he says it's um, the sixth hour, which would be noon by our uh, clocks, and that's a little wrinkle, because we don't expect a woman to come at noon. Women usually come at dawn and at dusk, hmm. uh, water for the day and then water for the evening. And so it's a little wrinkle, like, well, we expect a woman, but this is an odd hour for one to show up. Well, lo and behold, a woman does show up um, in the following verse. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, 
give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And this woman is the perfect woman to encounter Jesus here in Samaria. Tell us why. Yes. Well, as the story unfolds, we find out that this woman's personal history is a fairly good reflection of the spiritual journey of her people. Now, we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but of course, you know, a conversation ensues, and it comes up, for example, that this woman has had five husbands. And if you go back and do a little history on the Samaritan people, you find out that they are descendants of the northern tribes of Israel, who intermarried with five different ethnic groups, Gentile groups, that came into uh, the territory of northern Israel after um, the Assyrians had exiled them back in the 700s. And they had also not only physically intermarried, but spiritually intermarried, Mm -hmm. so to speak, by worshiping these uh, Gentile gods that were brought in. So, again, the pattern of this woman's personal history you know, tracks very closely kind of with the spiritual biography of the Samaritan people. Well, Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. What does that mean? He whom you have now is not your husband. Oh, there's a couple layers of sense there. Um, what happened with the Samaritan people is when the Judeans came back from Babylon in exile and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans became ashamed of their paganism that they had adopted, and they went back to exclusive worship of the Lord God of Israel. Mm. But they didn't do it in the proper way they made their own temple, which wasn't authorized. And it was kind of like trying to, you know, excuse the expression, shack up with the Lord. They're trying to, (laughs) you know, be with God, but not according to the covenant, which stated that Jerusalem was the place where they should meet with God and and go to God's house. And so the God that the Samaritans were worshiping was not in a covenant relationship. And That's like, as it were, not truly being married, just, again, trying to live together. And so Jesus says this to the woman. No, it's it's true of the woman's personal life, but also, again, a reflection of her people. And then there's also an even second or third sense there, Anna, because she's with Jesus right there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the man that's with her now, in a sense, and he is not yet her spiritual spouse, because she's not come to acknowledge him as the Messiah and the Son of David yet. And so you have that sense as well going on. Well, it doesn't take long, though, does it? I mean, how do she and and these people in her town fulfill some of the, the nuptial prophecies of the Old Testament by the end of this story? Sure. So she goes back and just announces that this prophet who knows everything about her, uh, has just come in, and that creates a lot of curiosity, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. And so the whole town empties out to go see 
this this Jewish rabbi um, who is being acknowledged as a prophet, and after two days of hanging out with Jesus, they come to acknowledge him as the Messiah. And it's amazing because it's a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 2. Hosea was the only prophet sent exclusively to the northern tribes of Israel, and he's also the prophet best known for his romantic imagery, especially in chapter 2, where he speaks of the Lord coming to woo his people back to himself and speak tenderly to them. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage, wooing the people of Israel back to himself. Well, thank you so much, Dr. John Bergsma. You can find his book, Love Basics for Catholics, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back with headlines right after this. It's 16 past. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. EWTN Radio is seeking an assistant to the operations manager in overseeing broadcast content in Radio Master Control. This candidate will ensure delivery of our Catholic audio programming while actively monitoring the on-air signals of a number of automated and live playout systems. For all the details about this exciting opportunity, visit EWTN.com and click on Employment at the bottom of the page to be part of Mother Angelica's mission of evangelization. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. A senior Hamas leader has been killed in a drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. The Vatican yesterday released the Pope's video to accompany his prayer intention for January to increase diversity in the church. And the Holy Father has expressed his deep sadness learning of the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, I don't think we got to talk about this before the break, but I did want to mention, uh, did you see the story about uh, the Catholic high school in Denver where the kids are able to pick up buzzers like you would get at a restaurant? No, I haven't uh, seen this story. So the idea was to try and make it more accessible for kids and you know, so basically you grab a buzzer and you 
put down a couple of the times that would be best for you to go to confession. When the confessional's open, your little buzzer lights up like it oh, would be. Oh, neat. Wow. And so, yeah. I I would be very interested to see is like what the real? confession number. This is real? Yes, it's real. I'm looking at it on Catholic News Agency oh, okay. right now. I thought you I thought you were about to launch. You into thought this something. was a setup. Yeah. You thought this was a bit. I no, did. it's it's a thing. Huh. Um. So uh, it also I think kids are kind of into it because they don't have to like stand awkwardly next to one another in the line. Sure. I, sure. I mean. I'd be interested to know. Is this how at this the Sikh conference? I know that's going on. No, no, this, this is, is like a uh, this is like at a regular high old high school, oh. Catholic high school in Denver. Be a Bishop, good idea uh, for the Sikh conference if anybody maybe I can't if anybody's listening. Huh? That'd be pretty cool. Well, I'll post a link to it. I'll put it on our Facebook page neat. so you know that I'm not making this up. Neat, neat. It's 21 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the heart of St. Paul. St. Paul was known for his great courage, compassion, and zeal for spreading the gospel. He was also known as having a bit of a temper. Paul does not hesitate to raise his voice when he sees Christians in danger. In chapter 3 of the letter to the Galatians, St. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? These people of Galatia were being tempted to turn away from Christ and back to the Jewish law. And this movement was succeeding. Paul is beside himself that the Galatians seem to be rejecting Christ. He sees the seriousness of their action, while they do not appear to see it. To move away from Christ Jesus, once you have accepted the faith, is a dangerous thing that has serious consequences. To move away from Jesus or desire things other than Jesus is to move away from salvation. The action of the people of Galatia produced some harsh words from St. Paul. These words were not meant to wound, but to help them wake up and see what they have and what they have given away if they turn away from Christ. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Wednesday morning, the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. Father Rob Jack back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is host of Driving Home the Faith here on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati. Good morning, Father. Morning, Anna. It's good to have you back. Now, those who go to daily Mass or who at least follow the readings in the lectionary cycle on a regular basis will notice that once we get to the Christmas season liturgically, uh, we start hearing a lot from John, his his letters and his gospel. Why is that? 
Well, it's, I have always told people when we get to the Feast of uh, Christmas, Matthew and Luke tell us what happens, but John tell us what's it, what does it mean. And the meaning is clearly in one verse. As I said, if, if I ever would get a tattoo, which I wouldn't, but if I did, it would be one verse, John one fourteen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so for the 12 days of Christmas, we do nothing but reflect on what does that mean, that Jesus has taken on our full human nature, that he is true God and true man. And John, in his first epistle especially, gives us a running commentary on what does it mean for us to say that Jesus has taken, God has taken on our human nature in Jesus. Jesus is real. He is flesh and blood. He has been born of the Virgin Mary. And when we accept that, we ourselves become little children. That's how John constantly refers to us in his epistles, little children. Well, how are we children? We are children because the Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary is now born in our hearts. Mm. You know, it is something that only just occurred to me, but both in the Christmas season, as we look ahead to the theophany and the baptism of the Lord, and then also in the Easter season, very much focused on baptism, because that is how we become children of God, right? That's right. And in the Christmas season, we tend to focus on, of course, John's Gospel, especially the prologue, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. But then we go into the epistles, and what we find there, again, of course, is really John chapter 1 and the first letter of John, because in those things, it's a fleshing out, if you'll get bad <laughs> of the Incarnation, really. Uh, it is clear for us that John makes it clear we must except in faith that Jesus has come in the flesh. And he says this because there are people at this time, opponents, false teachers, who are seeing Jesus only appeared to have a human body, because for God to take on a human body is just completely unreasonable and a great scandal to anyone who's ever thought about God in the world. God is totally other than the world. God created the world. Why would God become part of the world? And the answer, of course, is seen in the first letter of St. John. To save us from sin, to make us his brothers and sisters, and to be children of the Father. And what does that mean? You know, we hear the word Antichrist, and the question is, what is Antichrist? Well, John explains that in his letter. He says, anyone who does not accept that Jesus is truly God is Antichrist. Mm-hmm. meaning that we must see the reality that Jesus truly is God. He's not just some nice guy. He's not just some philosopher. He is, in his very essence, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the effulgence of God's glory. You've heard all that over. And, of course, what we see here is, again, a main theme. And this is a theme we often tie in with Easter, but it's a strong theme in Christmas, too, and that is the theme of light. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? I mean, that's something that comes out in John's prologue as well. Well, the light comes into the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. What we see in the Incarnation or in the birth of Christ is that the dark world, which was darkened by sin and death, could only be relit by the Son of God himself. 
And he does that by him taking on our human nature and by revealing that he is the light of the world, which we hear later on in John's Gospel. And that light, of course, he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. But right in John chapter 13, we hear what? After after Judas leaves, it was night. Did the dark did the darkness overcome it? And John says, "No, why do we say that? Because at early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And so we see the light coming into this world in the incarnation, and we receive the glory of that light in the resurrection which is why at Easter time we go back into these same readings, and especially in John chapter 3 when we talk about the story of Nicodemus and being born from above. Absolutely. I mean, all of this, to kind of put it together for, for those of us who are Christians, who have put on Christ, who is the light of the world, Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world as well. Absolutely. And within this context, again, it shows us that baptism is our rebirth. But for that rebirth to happen through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus himself must have become man and must have become flesh. And he is that still today. And this is why I think one of the crises we're facing in the, in the church now as ever is the question of the reality of Jesus. Is he simply an idea or is he truly God and man? And if we treat him only as an idea, then he becomes secondary to our own thoughts and ideas and theories, and we hear that going on. But if we begin to, to, to pierce that and to go into who Jesus really is, and we can only do that through prayer and through the sacraments and through study and God's grace, we begin to realize the reality is in the incarnate word, not in our thoughts. Amen. Father Rob Jack, thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. You can find Driving Home the Faith linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Reports say a senior Hamas leader is dead following an alleged Israeli drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. Brian Shook reports. The attack killed the group's top deputy along with six others. Israel has not claimed responsibility for the attack, but the New York Times reports senior U.S. officials confirmed Israel was behind the strike. The Lebanese militant group Hezbollah called it a serious attack on Lebanon and a dangerous development in the war. I'm Brian Shook. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is now resigning. She announced her decision to step down yesterday. This comes following allegations of plagiarism, as well as a campus controversy over anti-Semitism. Gay's tenure is now the shortest in the school's history after she became Harvard's first black president back in July. Former President Trump's legal team is appealing a ruling by the Maine Secretary of State that said he is ineligible to appear on the state's GOP primary ballot. In the appeal filed with Maine Superior Court, Trump called Secretary of State Shanna Bellows a biased decision maker and claimed she didn't have the legal authority to remove him from the ballot. Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness upon learning of the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. At least 62 deaths have been confirmed. Hundreds more are confirmed injured after the 7.6 magnitude quake. 
there are reports that tens of thousands of homes have been destroyed. A telegram sent on behalf of the Pope said he prays especially for the dead, those who mourn their loss, and for the rescue of people who are still missing. Sudan's bishops have called on the international community to intensify efforts to end violence in their country. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Decrying the conflict that is causing massive destruction of human lives, property and livelihoods to the surprise of many who never expected such an unfortunate situation, the bishops of Sudan appeal to the leaders of the warring parties to put the interest of the people first in their struggle for political power. The collective statement comes as General Daglor, commander of the Paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, is on a diplomatic tour of the region, purportedly to garner support in brokering a ceasefire. But analysts have expressed concern that his real motive could be to secure regional support to capture all of Sudan from the army, after several US-backed mediation talks in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia were suddenly stalled. In their statement, the Catholic bishops urged the suffering people not to be discouraged amidst the protracted conflict, but to trust in God who surpasses every suffering and gives a sense of hope. Expressing concern that the conflict may be an attempt to block solidarity among the people of Sudan, the bishops say they have a strong feeling that the chain of events is an attempt to block the aspiration of the people for a society where people live as brothers and sisters. But above all, the bishops appeal to the United Nations and to other members of the international community to intensify their respective efforts to end the ongoing violence. And they call for the continuation of necessary support for those affected by the conflict. Since the war erupted on the 15th of April 2023 between the Sudan Armed Forces and the RSF, the leaders have never met face to face. And violence has spread throughout the nation with allegations of widespread human rights abuses and war crimes. I'm Linda Bordoni. It's a new month and a new prayer intention for Pope Francis. In this month of January, in which the church marks the week of prayer for Christian unity, the Holy Father is praying for the gift of greater diversity in the church. Vatican News reports in the the video released to accompany his prayer intention, Pope Francis says that diversity in the church includes Christians from other confessions. He said, quote, To move forward on the journey of faith, we also need ecumenical dialogue with our brothers and sisters of other confessions and Christian communities, saying this is not something confusing or disturbing, but is a gift of God to the Christian community so it might grow as one body, the body of Christ, end quote. That's the news. It's 35 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, In the sacrament of confession, when you make a firm purpose of amendment, what does that mean? By a firm purpose of sinning no more, I mean a fixed resolve not only to avoid mortal sin, but also its near occasions. Imagine that you got into a fight with somebody, and he said many insulting things about you. But then, later on, you ended up making up, and he says to you, You know, I'm sorry for what I said, but fact is, I might say it again, so watch out. I think that we would be right to suspect that our friend wasn't really sorry at all. Because in order to truly be sorry, we also have to decide that I don't want to do it in the future. So we need to avoid all occasions of sin. And we need to have that firm purpose of sinning no more. And when we have both of those, we will be able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. We thank you for being with us on this Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. He has uh, got a bunch of books out there at this point that all have to do with using Scripture to uh, bring comfort in times of anxiety. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so we get to look to our Blessed Mother. We, of course, just celebrated a big feast day of hers to kick off the year. Which verse did you want to look at? Matt, I'm going to look at one of my favorite verses. This is from Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And you talk about a verse and a message that is appropriate as we begin a new year, a fresh start. What a great message this is. And these are the words of the Blessed Mother, Luke 1, 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a great attitude. If we could only go into this new year, and I'm trying my best to do this, being totally open to the will of God, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, but just to be totally open, saying, Lord, I am your servant. I'm yours. You're the boss. I'm I'm your follower. I'm your I'm your your child. I, you know, however, however, however you want to phrase it, whatever you think is best for me, Lord, I'm okay with it. Your will be done. That's the attitude I want to try to have going into this new year. Yeah, and it's a it's a theme that recurs in her life. Uh, it's a theme that her son uh, definitely <laughs> voices in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not my will, but thine. I, I mean this turning of ourselves over uh, to whatever God would have for us. Um, I mean, it really is a good thing to think about here at the beginning of the year. I, I mean, I, I got plans, you know, I got ideas. I got, you know, a lot of harebrained schemes and things that I've tried to pull off, you know, to kick off New Year's. And, you know, it's, this one's just laying right out there for us, man. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's right out there. Uh, I mean, for any of us who are trying to figure out what what else we are going to do, at least we should probably take a look at turning our wills over to God a little bit better. Exactly. And what I, what I like about what Mary says here, this is a very familiar, uh, one of her very familiar 
quotes in the Bible. You know, she only spoke on four occasions in sacred scripture. And this is this is one of them, probably one of the better known instances where Mary did speak, which is really a two-part message here. First, she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. In other words, Lord, you're the boss. And then she was referring to this specific incident where uh, the specific occasion where the angel told her that she had been chosen to become the mother of the Savior. First, she said, the Lord, the Lord is my boss. I'm his handmaid. Whatever he says goes. And now specifically, in this case, let this be done to me according to your word. And, and you know, it's, we're going to have these, these opportunities to say, Lord, your will be done. In fact, that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's what we pray, you know, your, thy will be done. But then we'll have specific occasions throughout the day where things don't go according to our plans. We might not like what happened. That's a chance for us to really mean what we say. Overall, yes, thy will be done. But in this specific case, I'm stuck in traffic here right now. I don't want to be, but, you know, Lord, you're allowing this to happen. There must be a reason. Please, I offer up my suffering. Please, Lord, use it for good. Teach me something. You know, so we have those specific occasions throughout the day to say again and to really mean it. In this case, yes, Lord, I meant what I said. Thy will be done. Matt, I, I have to tell you, I need to work on this. I'm not really good at this, but I know that I need to work on it. I mean, you and me both, brother. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you. You, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up, uh, that idea of saying thy will be done in this sort of like big general sweeping right, sense. Right, right is real easy sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you can just say, oh, Lord, you know, whatever you want me to do with my life, <laughs> you know. But the, the thy will be done in the moment is is rough. It's rough. Uh, but, you know, it's it's yeah. built in. I mean, the, the Church has us pray this at every Mass. It has us pray it five times for, you know, during the Rosary. Actually, more than that. If you talk, you throw in the... The kickoff, you know, our Father at the beginning. Uh, I mean, this is a prayer that the Church, uh, that Christ Himself gave to us, uh, to say over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And you're right; it's so easy to say, just to pray those words. Oh, Thy will be done. Sure, until something happens that I don't like, even the weather, something uh, disagreeable with me. You know, and how do I know? How do I know if I am really believing and following? My, my words, thy will be done. Well, do I complain? You know, every time I'm complaining about something that I can't control, I'm really going against what I just said. And, and again, I do this all the time, and it's something that I, I am trying to work on and I know I need to get a lot better at, because complaining, grumbling, it, it doesn't do any good. It, it's not going to help. It's not going to change the unchangeable circumstances that are driving me crazy. So why not just say, okay, Lord, yeah, thy will be done. I, I really meant what I said, thy will be done. I'm not happy about this. This isn't fun, but you know what? This is a chance for me to practice what I preach, thy will be done. Well, and Mary, when she says, let it be done to me according to your word, it's not all a smooth road from there. As a matter of fact, right. it gets crazy from there. <laughs> right. That's just the beginning all the way to the cross, uh, right? But... Um, but there's also the payoff, right? There's also yeah. uh, Mary's, you know, rewarded for that obedience uh, with her assumption and coronation. I mean, this there's no no crown without the cross, as it were. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a guarantee that it's going to be easy for sure. 
Exactly. And, and Matt, that's a reminder of what this world is all about. You know, this isn't our final home. This is a fallen world. There are troubles. There are trials that we're all going to experience. Do I like them? No, not especially. But sometimes I feel like I treat this world as if it's heaven, but it's not. This is temporary. This is the road that Jesus walked. This is the road, you know, as we look at this verse, that the Blessed Mother walked. They, they had to suffer. That was part of, that was part of their time on earth. And, and you know, um, we, we can ask for help. We can certainly turn to our Blessed Mother for, for help. We can ask her to intercede for us, help us have the grace to endure some of the suffering that, uh, you know, nothing like what she had to suffer, but, but to help us endure our suffering. And we could turn to our Lord, and every time that we are going through a difficult spell, whatever it may be, something that's unpleasant to us, we can consciously make that effort to say, Lord, I unite my suffering at this moment in time with yours, and then he can use it for good. And that's, uh, that takes training. That does not come easy to somebody like me especially. I tend to be a complainer. Before I offer things up, I tend to complain. But there are so many opportunities for us to, to literally help Jesus to carry his cross and to assist in his mission. Why waste these opportunities? Well, it is the verse that kicks off uh, chapter one of your book, Stop Worrying and Start Living, uh, Luke yeah. 1, 38, uh, which is, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's words there uh, that changed everything for all of human history. <laughs> Just that simple, yeah. yes. But Gary Zimak, if our listeners want to get a copy of your book, how do they do so? Matt, the best place is to go right to my website, followingthetruth.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much, Gary Zimak. Have a wonderful day. All right, Matt. Thank you. God bless you. All right, we're back with headlines after this. It's a quarter till. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Have you ever wished you could listen to EWTN on a local radio station? Maybe our Lord is speaking to your heart to help make that happen. Don't let a lack of experience hold you back. Find out how you can help start a Catholic radio station where you live, powered by the truth of the church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming. 
Email Steve at this address, radio at EWTN.com. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till, here's Anna with headlines. Reports say a senior Hamas leader is dead following an alleged Israeli drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness upon learning of the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. And it's a new month and a new prayer and tension for Pope Francis. In this month of January, he's praying for the gift of greater diversity in the church. Next newscast coming up at the top of the hour. Thank you for joining us on this Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus, Wednesday, January the 3rd. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Joseph Pierce. He is author of a number of great books, including The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful, History in Three Dimensions. It's just out from Ignatius Press, and I'm really excited to dig into this one. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so I'm going to stop short of saying that this is your everlasting man effort, but I imagine that if you're trying to tell history in three dimensions, you're leaning on a lot of really big-picture questions and not just names and dates. Uh, yes, you're largely right, and I take it as a compliment rather than a, an insult to say it's my everlasting man. Um, obviously, everlasting man is arguably Chester's greatest book, so uh, if, if I'm in its shadow in any way, I'm, 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 uh, I'm basking in its glory. So I'm, I'm happy with that. It's not exactly the same because uh, the everlasting man by Chester is broad sweep the whole time, uh, panoramic. Um, I take a, a, broad, uh, a broad sweep approach in terms of understanding history, uh, hence the three dimensions of the good, the bad, and the beautiful. But in each, the, each, there's a chapter for each separate century, and there's a section on the good, a section on the bad, and a section on the beautiful from, that, from each of those centuries. And they, they, of course, do focus on the details, the specific details of those specific centuries. Well, there are a lot of things that... Uh... That would distinguish you from from Chesterton's work. Chesterton's uh, brush strokes are so the the idea of Chesterton doing a chapter on each century would probably be unthinkable to Chesterton. <laughs> you know, he speaks in epics uh, rather than hundred year uh, periods through uh, the everlasting man. But uh, let's just say, for instance, maybe take one of these centuries that we don't hear a lot about, like uh, the twelfth century. We hear you know a lot of things about in the thirteenth, but when you get to something like I don't know, like the ninth century, I feel like those kinds of eras of history are a little bit more mysterious, uh, and so some people might think that maybe there's not a whole lot going on there, but uh, there, I mean, how do you zero in on, like, a century like that? Well, I mean, the good thing about a book like this, it took quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of um, research, but on the other hand, you know, you just take it chronologically, so if you've got a, a good library, which I'm blessed to have, and I also supplemented it as necessary, um, that you know you can just go through methodically looking at one century at a time, and then and then you can hone in like you know, the, the microscopic approach as well as the uh, telescopic approach, if you like, and, and just hone in on 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 the on, on the details. I mean, the, the ninth century was uh, was uh, you know that, that if you're going to talk about the dark ages, it certainly isn't true of the late Middle Ages, but it could be true of uh, of the eighth and ninth centuries. Did you have a century that was your favorite going in, and was there a century that as you became more acquainted with it and doing the research, 
you gained a unique appreciation for that you didn't have before? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, my areas, areas of speciality are the 19th and 20th and the 16th. So I suppose you, you, you sort of have, you tend to favor those areas that you focused on most. So, um, and I still find the, uh, the 16th century fascinating uh, with, the, with the three reformations, um, you know, the Protestant Reformation, the English Reformation, and the Catholic Reformation happening side by side. So that hasn't changed. But I, I suppose, really, I, I did get to uh, uh, the, the thing. I mean, the 13th century, uh, I, that, that's what I grapple with because it's often called the greatest, and in some sense it is, but there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the 13th century as well. And, and that's what I'm trying to say in my book, is, you know, that, that every century, uh, to, I, you know, to quote uh, the opening line of Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities, every century is the best of times and the worst of times. There's the good and the bad, or what we might call the city of God and the city of man, side by side uh, in every century. And that's what I'm trying to convey. The history is rather than being a descent, uh, into a bad future or, a, or an ascent into a golden age of the future. It's really a tapestry woven by who we are as human beings of, of, of that which is good, that which is bad, and that which is beautiful. Yeah, we're always getting better at certain things and worse at certain things forever, <laughs> right? Yeah, but there's a value in this, too, in that uh, there are things that were absolutely apparent and extremely visible and front of mind for someone in, say, the 14th century that are major blind spots for people of our era. And there are things that you and I are very aware of that are uh, that prick our consciences today that would have just not been on the moral radar of the uh, spirit of the age in those previous centuries. I mean, these things are always—I mean, this is why it's important to read outside of your—I mean, if, if my own, only moral compass formation came from whatever corporations and advertisers and the 24-7 news cycle thought that should be important, that would be a bad moral formation— Absolutely. And again, that's, that's the whole point, is that, that understanding history allows us to see the difference between the Heidegger Geist and the Zeitgeist, between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Age. And knowing the difference between the two, because they are never the same, uh, is, is crucial. Otherwise, we get confused and we start following the wrong, wrong spirit. And that can be perilous to our own soul and to the souls of others. Well, you left out a century here. Uh, I don't know if it was an oversight or if it's an intentional one. Uh, but you stopped at the 20th century. There is no chapter that really sums up the 21st. And I know it's early, but if you had to pick one good, one bad, and one beautiful thing just 23 years in to the 21st century, what three things might you pick? Wow, that's a great question. Well, the good, I think I would probably um, uh, pick the election of Benedict XVI to the papacy. I can't think of much better than that. Um, the, the, the beautiful, I would maybe say, the, the efforts made by Benedict XVI to restore the splendor of the liturgy, um, that would probably be what I say there. And as for the bad, well, I mean, where does the one The death start? of Benedict XVI. <laughs> Let me just... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, the, the death of Benedict XVI is, is, is the dawn of his glory. We should celebrate there his death. There you go. Which, that is, so that I, is good and yeah. beautiful at the same time. You know, it is interesting. You know, uh, you could s throw so many lenses. I'm trying to think what, what I would uh, what I would even say uh, in regard to that. Uh, you know, even even things that, you know, we might not notice until much later on. You know, the explosion of growth in the church in Africa, uh, right? The, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. the beauty of—I mean, I was just in Tennessee, and uh, the priest there was a missionary from India who left after 20 years of pastoring there and is now evangelizing, you know— 
the United States, you know, with these missionaries coming to evangelize. I mean, there's, I don't even know. The bad, I could spend two days on. But. Well, that's the problem is where do we start with the bad? I mean, I had a much easier right. job with the good and the beautiful because I honed in on Benedict. But uh, but, uh, but the, the bad, I mean, you look all around you and there's so many things we could choose from, unfortunately. Such has it ever been, I suppose. But this is why we Indeed. need the good and the beautiful to inform us, and so we're not just talking about the bad all day. Joseph Pierce, if our listeners want to get a copy of your book from Ignatius Press and maybe find some of the other cool things that you're involved with, how do they do so? Well, then go directly to the publisher for the book. That's Ignatius.com, but I do have a book section on my own personal website, and that's where people can check out everything else I'm doing. That's jpearce, J-P-E-A-R-C-E dot C-O. And it's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. If you go over to jpearce.co, you'll find all kinds of cool stuff. His inner sanctum's over there. Joseph's always up to something. Always up to something. But you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Got another full hour coming up for most of you listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, our family of affiliates, and uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about. We're going to be checking in with Father Philip Michael Tangora as we head towards the Feast of Epiphany. Uh, we'll also talk to Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers, Dr. Leonard Lorenzo, Father John Gavin, and much more. But uh, in the meantime, feel free to head over to sunrisemorningshow.com, enter your email address, subscribe, check out the video feed there as well, and we're back in just a little bit. It's three minutes till. Wednesday, the 3rd of January, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. Let's pray a prayer written by St. Jerome for God's mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Show me, O Lord, your mercy, and delight my heart with it. Let me find you whom I so longingly seek. Behold, here is the man whom the robbers seized, manhandled, and left half dead on the road to Jericho. Kind-hearted Samaritan, come to my aid. I am the sheep who wandered into the wilderness. Seek after me and bring me home again to your fold. Do with me according to your will, that I may abide with you all the days of my life and praise you with all those who are with you in heaven for all eternity. Amen. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. It is the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And Travis got our video feed back up and running after a few days of best of shows and illnesses and all kinds of stuff. But we are back in action. So come visit us at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Father Philip Michael Tangora will get us ready for the big Feast of Epiphany, which is coming up here in just a couple of days, actually. Uh, man, this has been a this has been a fast Christmas season. I will also talk to Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers, Dr. Leonard De Lorenzo along as well to talk about uh, Joseph as the husband of the mother of God. Now that is an intimidating prospect, right? Uh, but we're going to get into the role of St. Joseph uh, as we come off of the feast of Mary, mother of God. And then Father John Gavin will dis discuss uh, the Holy Spirit and the unity of the church and with the church fathers 
have had to say about that. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. There is speculation that yesterday's killing of a top Hamas leader is the first in a campaign to wipe out leaders of Hamas. Saleh al-Al-Ruri was killed in a suspected Israeli drone strike in a Beirut suburb. U.S. and Israeli national security officials believe he was involved in funding and training the Hamas fighters who carried out the October 7th attacks that killed more than 1,200 inside Israel. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is resigning. Mark Mayfield has more. She announced her decision Tuesday in a message to the Harvard community. This comes following allegations of plagiarism and a campus controversy over anti-Semitism. Gay's tenure is now the shortest in the school's history after she became Harvard's first black president in July. She faced pressure to resign following a congressional hearing in early December in which she and other university presidents struggled to answer whether calling for genocide of Jews violates their code of conduct. I'm Mark Mayfield. A federal appeals court has ruled that the Texas abortion ban can stand in emergency situations. In 2022, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services had said medical providers should be forced to offer abortions during medical emergencies, even in states where abortions are banned. The Fifth Circuit ruled against the administration. The Susan B. Anthony list applauded the decision, saying... The Biden administration was attempting to distort the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which required doctors to treat both mother and baby in emergency situations. Former President Trump's legal team is appealing a ruling by the Maine Secretary of State that he's ineligible to appear on the state's GOP primary ballot. In the appeal filed with Maine's Superior Court, Trump called Secretary of State Shanna Bellows a biased decision maker, and claimed she didn't have the legal authority to remove him from the ballot. Trump's attorneys said in the appeal that her ruling was the product of a process, in their words, quote, infected by bias and pervasive lack of due process, end quote. The Vatican yesterday released the Pope's video to accompany his prayer intention for January to increase diversity in the church. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. On January 18th to 25th, the Church celebrates the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. In the Pope video, the Holy Father urged Christians to embrace the gift of diversity in the Church since it represents an opportunity to rejoice. He noted that diversity and unity were already present in the early Christian communities, adding that the tension brought about by diversity had to be resolved on a higher level. However, noted Pope Francis, diversity in the church includes our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions. Para avanzar por el camino de la fe, necesitamos también el diálogo. To move forward on the journey of faith, he said, we also need ecumenical dialogue with our brothers and sisters of other confessions and Christian communities. He pointed out that this is not something confusing or disturbing, but is a gift that God gives to the Christian community so it might grow as one body, the body of Christ. Pope Francis offered the example of the diversity of rites within the Eastern churches that are in communion with Rome. They have their own traditions, their own characteristic liturgical rites, yet they maintain the unity of the faith, he said. They strengthen it, not divide it. In conclusion, the Holy Father recalled that all Christian unity comes to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. 
If we are guided by the Holy Spirit, abundance, variety, and diversity never cause conflict, he said. The Holy Spirit reminds us first and foremost that we are children loved by God, everyone equal in God's love, and everyone different. Let us pray, concluded Pope Francis, that the Spirit help us recognize the gift of different charisms within the Christian communities and to discover the richness of different ritual traditions within the Catholic Church. I'm Devin Watkins. U.S. national debt has topped $34 trillion for the first time in history. New data from the Treasury Department showed that the national debt reached an historic high on Friday afternoon. That figure is expected to nearly double in size over the next 30 years. And now, by law, major retailers in California are now required to have gender-neutral toy aisles. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill into law back in 2021. A major retailer is defined as having at least 500 employees. Violations bring a $250 fine for the first offense and up to $500 for each subsequent infraction. So I, how big is this aisle got to be? Well, I don't understand why this is – I mean, they already have gender-neutral toy aisles. It's called, called like Melissa and Doug cleaning – supplies like, I don't and know teddy what... bears and bikes and like why are we taking the time to require a gender neutral toy aisle I... I they already do this there's like plenty of toys that are like they're like the kind of, of toys that i gravitate towards the board game aisle yeah i mean like what are, <laughs> what in the world seriously I, Why is this necessary? I don't. I don't think it is. And Are people having ex- trouble finding toys? I mean, I was like, going to say it, it, maybe they have to identify it as gender neutral toy aisle, and you're not allowed to, to have Barbies labeled? in there. Well, well, if you label it, it's not neutral anymore. I don't know. This is so, so interesting. I don't know. This is what this is what our lawmakers focus on. You know this this coffee mug of mine is gender neutral. Yeah, exactly. Just make some. It's not even biological material, I don't think. <laughs> it was good, Matt. I like that. It's a good sunrise morning show mug you got there, Matt. You think? You, you like think? mine? You can get that in the online store at sunrisemorningshow.com. Neat. That's S O N Rise Morning Show. Good commercial. Good commercial. Well, today is Wednesday, January the 3rd. It is the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. Father Philip Michael Tangora joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning, everybody. It is good to have you. And we are looking ahead to this weekend, to the Feast of the Epiphany traditionally Mm -hmm. celebrated on january 6th the 12th day of christmas but now transferred Mm -hmm. to the closest sunday at least in uh, the roman catholic church a crime against the faith i would (laughs) love to know more of your thoughts on that front father why is that a crime against the faith well, because then you don't have the 12 days of Christmas. You have either the 14 or you have the five or you're and it's just, it's a kind of, it's kind of gets crazy, you know, um, 12 days for Christmas. And then you have that 
octave of, of the epiphany because the epiphany is not just meant to be the epiphany. It's actually the celebration of the fact of the other two main moments where Jesus is revealing himself mm. and making himself known. Hence, that's what epiphany means. It means to reveal. It's a Greek word that means to reveal. And so it's we celebrate the fact of the epiphany because the epiphany is when we see in those three moments, the visit of the three kings, the baptism of the Lord, and the wedding at Cana are when everybody's like, ah, he is the son of God. This is who he truly is. This is when he's revealing who he is. And that's what the epiphany is all about. And so when you had also then the octave of the epiphany, you would also celebrate the wedding at Cana and the baptism of the Lord. Mm. The wedding at Cana was celebrated on the Sunday within the octave, and the baptism was the octave day, just the way that Mary, Mother of God, is the octave of Christmas. Wow. And in the East, this is called theophany, correct? Theophany, another word for epiphany. So the, yeah. the fact that God is revealing himself, making himself known. And that's why the uh, season right after the epiphany, that ordinary time mm -hmm. uh, that, that leads up to Lent, was also known as post-epiphany mm. or epiphanatide. And it was that period of time because if you even, and that's still somewhat maintained, if you look at the Gospels for those Sundays that follow the Epiphany that lead up to Lent, they're all the manifestations of God. They're all the fact that they are him working miracles and leading and, and teaching profound things that are revealing the fact that he is God. You know, this, I didn't plan on asking you this question, but no, I just want to make sure that, uh, that, because I found this so interesting. I go to uh, a parish that that follows the traditional calendar, and leading mm -hmm. up to Advent, there were Sundays after Epiphany that were the for the lectionary. So is that yes. like you're tacking on um, at the end of what it would be post uh, Holy Cross? That was a that was an improvement to the calendar that needed to occur. <laughs> I'm going to say, because honestly, what happened was they there wasn't enough Sundays in ordinary time because it always flows. Sometimes you have 34 Sundays leading up to Advent and mm -hmm. sometimes you have, uh, you know, high 20s or something like that. You sure. Know, low 30s. And it's so, it's all dependent on the and like, so then the what would happen calendar, is not the liturgical you, calendar. Exactly. Yeah. So that was, and then if you had six Sundays or did you have only four Sundays between Epiphany, the, you know, baptism of the Lord and uh, the beginning of Lent. Lent. Yeah. You know, well, actually Septuagesimatide right. in the traditional calendar. So they would take those named Sundays yes. and put them at the end of the liturgical cycle just leading up yes. to Advent. Very interesting. Okay, so let's get back to the subject at hand, Sorry. though, which is the significance of the the feast of the Epiphany. You know, when you think about it, we in the church have the gift of the fullness of revelation in in Jesus Christ. So it's kind of like a, a gift of hindsight, so to speak. But absent that gift of hindsight, Christmas doesn't really mean much if we don't know who that baby is. This is very true. And that's why 
the real meaning of Christmas is the fact that we're welcoming he who is the Savior. And we're saying, I want to honor and live in accord with him who is the Savior. And that's the whole, that's why the Epiphany is so central to the message of Christmas. Because with the coming of the wise men, we see that here are these kings, here are these leaders, uh, and they are honoring him and saying, no, 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 he's the real king. He's the real one who has, has been foretold to come. The shepherds were community leaders. They're getting on humble knee, bend before the Lord and honor and worship him. They're recognizing all these leaders, whether they're shepherds or, or kings and wise men, are coming and honoring Jesus Christ, recognizing that this babe who's been born is actually much more than just another child who's been born. Because absolutely, whenever a child is born, we're all, you know, goo gaga about that. But at the same time, this is something so much more because this is the Savior. This is God made man. And he has come to do something for us. And, and they recognized that they didn't know exactly what he was going to do. But they were recognizing that he is God made man. He is the Savior. And we need to just follow him. We need to worship him. We need to be there. And so then once he starts to reveal himself at the baptism, where God the Father's voice is heard, and he says, this is my beloved son, you know, and, and you know, at the same time at the wedding of Cana, where he works that first miracle. Yep, yep, and, and John you know, tells us that is, his glory is revealed there, yeah. Exactly, and so this is why we're seeing that this is such an important connection to Christmas, because now we're recognizing, yes, we truly have put our faith, we have put our worship into the one true God, into he who is revealing himself to be God himself. Yeah. And um, how significant it is, those three kings representing all of us, really, in a way, those of us who are not, um, you know, part of Israel, so to speak, that that here is this baby taking on the role of Israel, who was supposed to be a light to all the nations. And so Jesus mm -hmm. is a light to us all, all of us who are represented by those three kings. Good stuff with Father Absolutely. Philip Michael Tangora. You can find his book, Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and God bless you all. Thank you, Father. You too. All right, it's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, 
online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Mamas in Spirit is a mini retreat and a podcast for Catholic women talking about how God has converted their hearts and transformed their lives, opening hearts to the boundless love of God. You can hear Mamas in Spirit as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. There is speculation that yesterday's killing of a top Hamas leader is the first in a campaign by Israel to wipe out its top leaders. Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness over the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. And the Vatican yesterday released the Pope's video to accompany his prayer intention for January to increase diversity in the church. He also talked a little bit about ecumenism, so Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about ecumenism. Today is the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus on our calendar as Catholics. Indeed. And uh, do you know which religious order considers this their titular feast day? The Jesuits. It'll be the Jesuits. Who are named after Jesus. Named after Jesus. Yeah. Uh, But you may not know this, uh, the Lutherans also celebrate a feast of the holy name of Jesus. Really? They celebrate it on January 1st. The United Methodist Church does as well. That makes sense. Originally, the feast of the circumcision, which is when he would have received his name. name. Uh, Presbyterian, the PCUSA, at least, also celebrates the feast of the holy name of Jesus on January 1st. Now, I don't know how well these things are observed, but Anglicans do too. Yeah. Liturgically minded Protestants. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus is older than the Reformation. So Indeed. It makes sense that it would have come down the way in some of our brethren and sistren. It's 21 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Dearest Jesus, teach me yourself to be silent. Abide in me as you do in the tabernacle, for my soul thirsts for this grace. 
Your loved presence guards my soul and keeps in check my thoughts, my words, my acts. Stay in my heart, dear Jesus, and transform it through love, humility, penance, and silence. Silence will help me to become more and more true, and this is sometimes more difficult than it seems. Love, patience, gentleness, humility, silence. Give me all these, dear Jesus, and make me holy insofar as you wish. Use me for souls, for your loved missions and missionaries. Use me in your own interests, for your greater glory, and that all be done and suffered in silence in the chapel of my little soul. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Sister Patricia Jean, Sister of St. Joseph the Worker in Walton, Kentucky. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Wednesday morning. Carlo Broussard is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers, host of the Sunday Catholic Word podcast, which you can find at mrsundaypodcast.com. You can invite him to speak through catholicanswersspeakers.com. We've been going through his book, The New Relativism. Good morning, Carlo. Good morning, Anna. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you so much. You know, we've been going through your chapter entitled, Thou Shalt Not Be a Judgmental, Hateful Bigot. And just as a little refresher, since it's been a little while since we've been together, can you give us the main points of relativistic thinking behind this uh, modern secular commandment? Yeah, so the idea in this chapter is that these charges are put on Christians simply for making any sort of negative moral evaluation of human behavior, particularly the lifestyle choices associated with the LGBTQ plus community. So whenever a Christian says those lifestyle choices are immoral, those people need to repent and believe in the gospel, we're labeled, we're charged with being judgmental, hateful bigots. But the problem there is that if we're bad people, as these labels would suggest, simply for judging these human behaviors to be immoral, well, then that would entail that we must be bad people for judging any human Mm. behavior for being immoral. But if judging human behavior is off the table, well, then we're swimming in the waters of moral relativism. And so I bring that out in the chapter of the book, and then I offer some strategies as to how to refute that, basically pointing out how this sort of charge fails to make the proper distinctions between judging human behavior to be contrary to our good as human beings, i.e. immoral, and judging motivations behind the behavior that's being judgmental, or having a negative opinion about the behavior based upon emotion alone and preconceived biases that's being bigoted, or expressing Mm. ill will towards a person that's being hateful. And so once we make these proper distinctions, then the charge dissolves. Absolutely. So your alternative absolute in here is thou shalt judge. How can we judge without being judgmental? 
Right. Yeah. So one might think, well, Carlo, you're selling the form there, right? Because the <laughs> contemporary moral command is thou shalt not judge. But we have to unpack what we mean by judge. So within our contemporary culture, when people say you shouldn't judge, what they mean is you shouldn't be judgmental, which is judging one's motivations without sufficient evidence behind the behavior. That's what it means to make rash judgment or to be judgmental. What I mean here with this alternative absolute that we should buy into is that we should judge actions. Mm. I mean, think about it, Anna. We do it intuitively. Even those who criticize us as Christians do it. Within critical race theory, people are judging racism to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Granted, there's a different view of what they mean by racism within critical race theory, but nevertheless, they're making some judgment of some human behavior to be immoral. Yeah. Within With the Me Too movement, right? We judge sexual coercion or rape to be wrong, to be immoral. We judge child abuse to be wrong, to be immoral. So we do it based upon intuitions. But here's the thing, as I point out in the book, Anna, we're hardwired to make judgments about human behaviors. We can't help but do it. Any choice that we make, Anna, it's based on an intellectual judgment that the behavior we engage in is good for us in some way. So that the folks listening to the radio show right now, they're doing so only because they have judged that listening to the show right now is in some way good for them, whether they learn from it or they're trying to refute us, right? Mm, but yeah. they're somehow judging it to be good, thereby judging the behavior to be good. And that's just what we do as rational animals. It's part of being a human being. So judgment of actions, we must insofar as we're human beings. Do we have a right to judge other people's actions in the way that you're talking about here, Carlo? Yes, we do, be precisely because as human beings, we need to assess whether human behavior is good or bad. And insofar as you're a human being, things that are contrary to your human good, Anna, are going to be contrary to my human good. Hmm. Why? Because we're both human beings. We both have human nature. There are some things that are going to be good for you, not for me. Like, you know, you do radio all day. That's not good for me to do all day because I got to do other stuff like yeah. take care of my kids and my wife and mm -hmm. do apologetics and stuff. But here's the thing, Anna. If we do not judge actions, if we take that off the table, what are we left with? We're left with judging intent. Yeah. And so if we can't assess a 14-year-old boy's claim that he's a girl based on empirical objective evidence of his biological sex, then we're only going to be left judging his intent. Mm. Is he sincere with his claim? Or is he just being manipulative so that he can get into the girl's locker room and showers, right? Yeah. So if we reject the objective standard of human nature, we're only left with judging subjective intentions and thereby, Anna, being judgmental. So lest we be judgmental, we need to not stop judging actions. Great points that you can read about in Carlo's book, The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophies of today's woke moralists. It's at shop.catholic.com. You can also find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can invite Carlo to speak through catholicanswersspeakers.com. Get him to talk about some of this stuff at your parish. You doing Lenten missions this year, Carlo? Oh, yes, ma'am. I got quite a few coming up. Excellent. So pray for me. Well, you bet, man. You bet. It was good to have you today. Thank you so much, Carlo. Thank you. God bless.
It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Reports say a senior Hamas leader is dead following an alleged Israeli drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. Brian Shook reports. The attack killed the group's top deputy along with six others. Israel has not claimed responsibility for the attack, but the New York Times reports senior U.S. officials confirmed Israel was behind the strike. The Lebanese militant group Hezbollah called it a serious attack on Lebanon and a dangerous development in the war. I'm Brian Shook. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is resigning. She announced her decision yesterday in a message to the Harvard community. This follows allegations of plagiarism and the campus controversy over anti-Semitism. Gay's tenure is now the shortest in the school's history after she became Harvard's first black president back in July. A federal appeals court has ruled that the Texas abortion ban can stand in emergency situations. In 2022, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services had said Medical providers should be forced to offer abortions during emergencies, even in states where abortions are banned. The Fifth Circuit ruled against the administration. The Susan B. Anthony list applauded that decision, saying the Biden administration was attempting to distort the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which requires doctors to treat both mother and baby in emergency situations. Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness over the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. At least 62 deaths have been confirmed and hundreds more were injured after the 7.6 magnitude quake. There are reports that tens of thousands of homes have been destroyed. A telegram sent on behalf of the Pope said he prays especially for the dead, those who mourn their loss, and for the rescue of the people who are still missing. Sudan's bishops have called on the international community to intensify efforts to end violence in their country. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Decrying the conflict that is causing massive destruction of human lives, property and livelihoods to the surprise of many who never expected such an unfortunate situation, the bishops of Sudan appeal to the leaders of the warring parties to put the interest of the people first in their struggle for political power. The collective statement comes as General Daglo, commander of the Paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, is on a diplomatic tour of the region, purportedly to garner support in brokering a ceasefire. But analysts have expressed concern that his real motive could be to secure regional support to capture all of Sudan from the army, after several U.S.-backed mediation talks in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia were suddenly stalled. In their statement, the Catholic bishops urged the suffering people not to be discouraged amidst the protracted conflict, but to trust in God who surpasses every suffering and gives a sense of hope. Expressing concern that the conflict may be an attempt to block solidarity among the people of Sudan, the bishops say they have a strong feeling that the chain of events is an attempt to block the aspiration of the people for a society where people live as brothers and sisters. 
But above all, the bishops appealed to the United Nations and to other members of the international community to intensify their respective efforts to end the ongoing violence. And they called for the continuation of necessary support for those affected by the conflict. Since the war erupted on the 15th of April 2023 between the Sudan Armed Forces and the RSF, the leaders have never met face to face. And violence has spread throughout the nation with allegations of widespread human rights abuses and war crimes. I'm Linda Bordoni. Four ports of entry at the southern border will be reopened tomorrow. Mark Mayfield has the story. Federal officials say they will reopen ports that had previously been closed due to a record influx of migrants. The points of entry are located in Eagle Pass, Texas, San Ysidro, California, Lukeville, Arizona, and Nogales, Arizona. Officials say there's been significant improvement in the number of migrant encounters in Eagle Pass and that closing the border is only used as a last resort. I'm Mark Mayfield. Former President Trump's legal team is appealing a ruling by the Maine Secretary of State that he's ineligible to appear on the state's GOP primary ballot. That's the news. It's 35 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Did you know they found a treasure in Capernaum? That's the small town in Galilee on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's the place where Jesus taught in the synagogue, where he healed a man brought through the roof, He healed a centurion's servant. It was the scene of the miracle of the coin in the mouth of a fish. And it's the scene where Jesus discussed greatness with his apostles. In the early 1980s, archaeologists came upon 282 gold coins. The coins were not from the time of our Lord. They were much later from the 7th century. But we might reflect for a moment that those gold coins could not match the far grander treasure that we know from Capernaum, and that's the faith of the centurion. We echo that centurion's faith at every Mass that we celebrate. Just before we receive the body and blood of the Lord, we all pray and echo his words, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. I think you would agree that That's the real treasure from Capernaum, and it's far more valuable than a heap of gold coins. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo is joining us again now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame and host of the Church Life Today podcast, author of quite a few books, the one pertinent to today's discussion, Model of Faith, Reflecting on the Litany of St. Joseph. Dr. De Lorenzo, welcome back. Thank you very much. Good morning. It is good to have you. So the octave day of Christmas is the feast of Mary, 
mother of God. What do you think it means for Joseph to be the husband of the mother of God, which is one of his titles in the litany? Well, I think among other things that the honor and the grace that is bestowed uniquely unto Mary is in all generosity then shared with St. Joseph through his union with her. I think that Joseph is the one who is perhaps the first witness, we could say, to the great mysteries that are held both within the Blessed Mother and, of course, through their Blessed Child, Jesus. That none of this comes to Joseph, you could say, I suppose, directly, but only by obedience, by devotion, and by his call from God. He is made one with those who are at the heart of the mystery. And so I think there is a way in which there's a hiddenness to Joseph, therefore, and that hiddenness is also a sign of, perhaps for us, our own dignity and call to be united to the mystery of the mother of God and to the mystery of God with us. It's really incredible to think, you know, you read through the first couple of chapters of of Matthew and Luke, and neither the Blessed Mother nor Joseph seem to have any foreknowledge of Mary's vocation to be the mother of God, uh, even while they did know that she was set apart for the Lord. Um, in any event, I, I mean, it must have taken a lot of courage and faith on the part of Joseph to not divorce her quietly, as uh, he was clearly considering in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, I think that's quite right. I think courage and faith is certainly right on right at the heart of it. And I think the other way of thinking about that, maybe this is just a reflection of courage and faith, is preparation. Yeah. That, as you rightly point out, there's no foreknowledge. And yet, here we find a man who, as is first described to us in Matthew's Gospel, was a just man. And he, of course, didn't just become a just man at that moment. He was a just man. And that took time and preparation, diligence, and discipline to become that kind of man. And so when these fateful times came to him and when the most important calls of all fell upon his life, he was a man who had grown in virtue and was at least capable of opening himself to be made fit to that calling. Let's put it that way. I think that's the minimum we could say about virtue is it makes you at least capable of being fit to what you're called for. Even if he wasn't fully qualified at that moment, he was open to it. And, you know, you think about it, every dad is to his children in some way, an image of God the Father. And of course, some dads manage to do a, a fairly good job of, of communicating the nature of God, albeit imperfectly, um, to the, you know, to God the Father, but others not so much. But could you imagine, like, being the earthly father of a kid who fully understands the nature of God the Father? I know that's quite right. And you know, the first part of what you're saying there, that each earthly father is called to be a reflection or is a reflection or is a, a sign of God the Father. And we know tragically too often how much many of us fathers fail to be that reflection of the Heavenly Father. But God comes to us on our terms and takes on our customs and terms. And in fact, to the point that Jesus teaches us to call his father, his father, our father. And so when 
we as earthly fathers present to our children and to others an image of what it means to be a father, we're also taking on the incredible responsibility of giving a sort of target, you could say, to what God comes to take on and to address us through, which is our fatherhood, to reveal in our fatherhood who and what he fully and eternally is as the one who gives, as the one who sacrifices, as the one who exercises all generosity. And so I think as you're saying rightly, like there's an increased dignity and challenge in the call of Joseph, who is always the one who, who known as Jesus's father is, you could say, compared or in some ways referred to the heavenly father. And for him, I think this is also a sign of his humility. There's no indication that there's rivalry or jealousy in this. There's only submission and obedience to allow himself to be further conformed to the righteous and true image of fatherhood that would in some ways be respectful of, and in other ways be, I suppose we could say, I don't know, worthy of or grow into worthiness of the title of father that is only truly God's. Well, at least he didn't have to worry about like having to like the the idea of like soiling the image of God for Jesus, who knew his father, who was I mean, is one with the father, knows him perfectly. But, you know, you think about, okay, maybe that pressure, not so much on him, like uh, like any other father might feel um, being this this reflection of God, the father for his children. But dude, you are the head of the holy family. I mean, that comes with a lot of pressure of its own. Indeed. Yeah, I think we could certainly say that. And I also think, you know, all of salvation, let's put it this way to really put the pressure here on Joseph, all of <laughs> salvation is about our responsiveness to God's initiative, that God seeks to come to us as our guest. And the first one to whom he comes as a guest is, of course, the Blessed Mother, who receives the word of God in all love and grace and in her own flesh to open herself fully and completely to him. But Joseph is the one who is called without, you can say, the same grace to respond with faith and humility to open his home, in fact, to make a home that would be welcoming and fit for the obedience of his most blessed child, Jesus. And so we can see in Joseph that what is called of each of us, that that on which our own salvation hangs, which is our responsiveness and openness to the divine word, is first exercised by him who has to act in humility, faith, and trust to not only open a home to the Son of God, but to create a home for him, to be the head of that home and that family, to always and continually be open to receiving what exceeds his understanding, but what pulls on his very heart. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find his book, Model of Faith, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father John Gavin joins us next. It's a quarter till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. 
Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, teach me to pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Are you a new listener to EWTN Radio? Welcome. We're here for you 24-7. You'll hear live and interactive shows throughout the day to answer any questions you may have about the Catholic faith. There's trustworthy news from a Catholic perspective. And a large selection of podcasts available at EWTN's Podcast Central. And, of course, the daily Mass, prayers, and everything you need to edify your soul. Welcome to EWTN Radio. We're blessed to have you with us. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, January 3rd, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. Here's Anna with headlines. Reports say a senior Hamas leader is dead following an alleged Israeli drone strike in a suburb of Beirut. Pope Francis has expressed deep sadness over the earthquake that devastated communities in western Japan on New Year's Day. And the Vatican yesterday released the Pope's video to accompany his prayer intention for January, which is to increase diversity in the church news the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show it's 12 till the sunrise morning show continues i'm matt swain joined now by father john gavin sj and he is author of mysteries of the lord's prayer we've been going through the catechism of the catholic church and looking at the various places where the church fathers are quoted today we're going to look at saint cyril of alexandria on the unity of the church father gavin good morning good morning so give us a sense of St. Cyril of Alexandria before we dig into what he says and where he says it. Sure. Uh, St. Cyril of Alexandria was the patriarch or bishop of the city of Alexandria in Egypt during the first half of the 5th century. And he was especially known for being involved in the Nestorian controversy uh, against uh who was the, the patriarch of Constantinople, and uh, the question of the unity of Christ, uh, the two natures of Christ, both fully human and fully divine. And so uh, he was very much involved in that and leading up to the uh, Council of Ephesus 
in 431. So he's a very important theologian, but also what we see here, a, an important biblical commentator as well. The quotation in, in the Catechism here comes from his commentary on the Gospel of John. So then, if he has all that to say about Christ, and then the Church mm -hmm. is the body of Christ, then what does he have mm -hmm. to say about Christ's body, the Church? Well, what we see here, uh, as I said, it's coming from the, uh, his commentary on the Gospel of John, and he's actually commenting in this section on uh, John seventeen twenty to 21 He writes, I am, uh, well, Jesus says, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And he looks at that, and he does something that the fathers do regularly. You use Scripture to unlock Scripture. And he asks, how, how can we be one uh, as Christ, uh, Jesus and the Father are one, Christ and the Father are one? And so he goes to Ephesians 4, 3 to 6, and in there he sees in verse 3, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he says that that, that point of unity, what unites us, Father, Son, and Spirit, what unites us to the Trinity as a Church, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's his move that he's making here. It's through the Holy Spirit that this union is formed. You know, this is such a powerful question, because, you know, he's coming at it, uh, very clearly from a sacramental worldview. So yes. uh, this is not like a subjective sense of, like, I feel like I have the Holy Spirit. You know, like, <laughs> right, you, right. It sometimes happens in other ecclesial communities, right? And the kinds that I grew up in, mm -hmm. that was that was the case. Or, or when it says in this quote from paragraph 738, as the power of Christ's sacred flesh unites those in whom it dwells into one body. This is a Eucharistic language. Mm -hmm. It's a sacramental uh, sort of unity to the body of Christ, uh, which... I think is kind of a kind of a check on you know where sometimes our head goes as Americans, which is you know the body of Christ is one uh, to the extent that we all agree on the same agenda mm -hmm. items, <laughs> and that's important, right, right. right? But that's not ultimately the glue that holds it all together. The glue is sacramental; it's trinitarian. Absolutely, and in fact, uh, even the introduction to this passage in the Catechism talks about how the Church is to be sacramental in uh, making visible to the world the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But as you pointed out, uh, there's this Eucharistic uh, language there as well, the, the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ. Uh, it, it is in the Eucharist, and then also the echoes of baptism here in those sacraments, especially for Cyril, that uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place, right? Uh, when we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Eucharist, the body of Christ, it is then that we uh, receive that uh, the Holy Spirit. And of course, he doesn't speak about quite echo confirmation here, but, but that anointing uh, that takes place in confirmation, uh, that too, he's always pointing back to the sacraments. You know, I'm reminded, and I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase from memory, of, of our good friend St. Irenaeus, who mm. talks about these churches that are all over the world in his time, uh, right? The Mediterranean basin, mm -hmm. essentially, and, and beyond, and that they're all proclaiming the truth as though they had one voice, <laughs> right? Yes. As though it was one mouth saying these things. I mean, that's 
kind of the image that I'm getting here as well of what it means to be bound together in a single body uh, that by this glue of the Holy Spirit, as it were. Yes, and when we speak about that unity, of course, I think we're talking about not simply the present with all the different cultures and languages where we see the presence of the Church throughout the world, but he's talking about also uh, the past. You know, we're in continuity and union with the, Christ, uh, the Church of all times, also the communion of saints, right, in union with them. So this unity of the Spirit, uh, yeah, it's not just isolated to my particular city or my parish, but it spans both time and eternity. I mean, that's, that's, that's an overwhelming idea when we really look at it. Uh, we're united with the saints even now as the Church. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Well, and it's a really interesting way to kind of keep us accountable to one another as well. As St. Cyril says in this passage, again, this is in paragraph 738 of the Catechism, where it's quoted if you want to look it up. Uh, but it says, If Christ, together with the Father's and his own Spirit, comes to dwell in each of us, Though we are many, still the Spirit is one and undivided. It's not like you got your Holy Spirit and I got mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're we're all right. accountable to the same Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, to to the extent that you and I are our own quirky individual, unrepeatable persons, that's great. But ultimately, it's not like you got a different Holy Spirit than I did. Right, and it's it's not like something you divide up into pieces. You get your part. My- uh, but rather, yes, it's it's that one indwelling of the spirit, and of course, what we're uh, what we desire to grow in is to be ever more receptive and responsive to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the the one to whom we look to as the as the perfect model of that, of course, is is the Blessed Mother, right? Uh, in her fiat, her yes uh, to God, to be become the mother of God. Uh, I mean, that is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, her whole being is responsive to that gift. We, we see that in the saints, of course. You know, they, they become ever more responsive to that gift of the Spirit uh, in forming the Church, and that's what we desire as well. Well, thanks so much, Father John Gavin. And you can find his book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And... Uh, of course, Mary, Mother of God, Mary, Mother of the Church. Uh, these are uh, these are all kind of connected things, Anna Mitchell. Because if uh, she is the mother of the head, mm-hmm. and the head founded the body, mm-hmm. she's and the body and the head are one. And the body and the head are one. And uh, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives and protects the Church. There's just layers and layers to this stuff. It's really amazing when you start thinking about all of the connections like that. You know, it's wow, God, how did you, That's how did you very come clever. up with all of he's, this? He's very clever. It's very clever. <laughs> that's uh, that's the kind of compliment we give at the end of the show. Absolutely. Well, we're back again tomorrow. I'm Matt Swain for Anna Mitchell, Paul Lockman, Travis, and all of our guests. I God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.